We don't have to look very far to notice that things aren't working all that well, do we? That uh, life is a bit off, that things are a bit broken around us. In times past, it's always been true, but it feels like to, in these days that we notice it a bit more. And I know for me, and, and maybe for you, one of the things that helps me get through some of my days is just noticing some of the funny ways that that happens. Um, for example, uh, a couple of weeks ago, my good friend John Parker uh, needed a tasty lunch, but instead settled for a Burger King uh, lunch due to time constraints. And so he and I made our way across Colonial Drive. And instead of being sane people who take a crosswalk, we played Frogger and made our way across uh, the street, dodging cars as we went. And as we were walking over, we were talking about our favorite fast food hamburgers. Uh, we both agreed, thankfully, that the junior bacon she at Wendy's rules them all. And so we finally made our way to the Burger King and we were greeted by the king himself on the door, uh, letting us know to be safe and that they were open. And he was so glad that we were there and we entered his premises. And uh, John went up to go place his order for his subpar Whopper Junior that day. And as I was hanging back, I was sort of noticing something was a bit off as he was interacting with the customer service agent. They were having a conversation, putting in the order, yet next to them was a piece of plexiglass on the counter. And I think most of us are used to it at this point. A lot of the places we go have placed plexiglass to keep folks safe that are there, yet this one was nowhere near the realm of keeping anyone safe because it was next to the interaction. And I picture what happened was that the king, possibly himself, came by one day and placed the plexiglass in front of the customer service agent. And over time, they realized it was hard to hear people. It was hard to make a connection with the customer. So they then decided to take the piece of plastic and move it to the side where it's doing no one any good. It's those little things that bring a spark of joy to some of my days. Um, I know in my family, I'm not exactly sure how it started. I'm pretty sure it happened when we were trying to teach the kids to wear their helmets and they're riding their bicycles. Uh, and to be safe. So whenever they see someone riding a motorcycle without a helmet, they'll point out and say, she's not being safe. So I'm sorry if that's you, if they're judging you, that's just a safety issue for them. But the other day I was riding with my five-year-old son, Maverick, and he saw a motorcyclist without a helmet. And as he started to point them out to say that they weren't being safe, he did notice that they had a, a paper face mask on over their mouth. And he just looked at him and goes, he goes, that's just ridiculous. You know, there's just things that are off and there's some funny things like that, but there's a lot of the broken relationship stuff happening, right? The, the things that we're interacting with day in and day out. I know for so many of you that we've talked to and that um, even in our own life, uh, the decision of whether you send kids back to school or keep them home have created rifts in relationships, uh, boundaries that have been set up for what people you can hang out with because people are being cautious for family members and there's some of the low grade things that are happening amongst the friendships in that and people that can't spend time together and kids that are being separated. Just the last week our seniors in high school were together for breakfast club. Our student ministry does this amazing thing through the year. One Saturday a month they gathered as seniors together to talk about life and plans and um, one of the things they were talking about this week is the kids that have gone back, the students that are there face to face, miss their friends who are at home. And the friends that are home miss their friends that are face-to-face. -face. Nobody is fully satisfied. Later that night, I was with a friend whose daughter is a freshman in college, and he was just saying, it's just, it's not what she expected, right? We've built up what college is going to be like for so many of our friends and their kids and what to expect. That they're going to find their favorite tree to study under. They're going to meet this new group of friends. They're going to find a Bible study and roommates and all these things. And he was just saying, for her, it's taking longer. It's happening, but it's not what she expected. And it's, and it's harder. There's some brokenness there. And then there's the really deep-seated things that I'm sure many of you have faced. I know for the Aldridge families, one of the hardest parts of the season is we lost a neighbor. Um, she was like an aunt to our kids. We would see her on an almost daily basis. She would always have a treat for the kids and have them over and just pour into them and just gave life 
to them in um, early in the fall. She got sick and had surgery, was in rehab centers for quite a while where the kids and us could not go see her. And then as COVID happened, she became more and more locked down with no visitors to the point that when she passed away, we hadn't seen her for six months. There was broken relationships. There was sadness built around that. There's brokenness in our world. And we're experiencing a lot of brokenness in such a time as this, and especially in our relationships. Uh, last week, Zach mentioned uh, the brokenness that we're experiencing in mental health and the effects in our community that are there. And it triggered something in the back of my brain I've been noticing over these past few weeks and months, uh, the number of articles that are showing up in my newsfeed about the, the measurable effects on mental health in our society, especially uh, pointing to the broken relationships, social isolation. So I, I did a quick Google search looking just in the last few weeks so that they were super current. Journal of American Medical Association says, three times as many Americans met criteria for a depression diagnosis during the pandemic than before it. In the Washington Post, they cited a, a study by the Kaiser Family Foundation that says a growing number of U.S. adults are struggling with mental health issues. Those experiencing symptoms of anxiety or depression, for example, reached 40% this summer, up from 11% a year ago. And it lists social isolation, loneliness, among others, as causes of this. And then there was one article that really hit me. It was in Frontiers in Psychology, and it really blew me away. I'm just going to give you a couple of highlights about it, but it was chock full of all the things that we're experiencing pastorally as we're seeing things in the world that I'm studying biblically and the brokenness that's there. And if you want a copy of the long thing, feel free to email me. I'd be happy to send it to you. But here's what it said. It said, the medical journal, journal The Lancet, recently published an article from which a clear and alarming picture emerges. Periods of isolation, even less than 10 days, can have long-term effects, with the presence up to three years later of psychiatric symptoms. Although necessary to limit the spread of the epidemic, in fact, human beings are not designed to manage segregation for a long time. Furthermore, in accordance with our current regulations, we have begun to behave as if other people are potentially dangerous for our health and for the health of our loved ones. And here's where it lands. It says, while the levels of environmental stress continue to rise, we are witnessing the deterioration of relationships. Rather than connecting people, restrictive measures are creating rivalries and arousing discord between people. This is straight out of the medical literature. This is what is happening in our world. And this is what so many of us are experiencing. So, okay, enough of the bad news. Here's the good news. This is no surprise to God. Last week, uh, Zach referred to one of my favorite passages in all of the Bible from John chapter one, the verse, verses where he retells the creation story. It's a passage that 20 years in, every time I hear it, I still get all of the feels, all of the tingles, all of it. I read it every Christmas Eve to the congregation because in it is such hope and truth in life. So I wanna share with you John chapter one, verses one through five. Hear these words. He's speaking of the word, and this is referring to Jesus. It says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made, and without him nothing has been made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was a light of all mankind. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. From the beginning, Jesus and God existed in relationship with one another. There are notes of the Holy Spirit continued through the passage. You see relationship from the beginning of time and in this cord of three relationships, this cord of beautiful, perfect relationship as people are coming together, the outflow of that cord is beauty and creation and all that we see around. Everything that is spoken in the being came out of that relationship. It was born there. 
It's a beautiful picture of what it's supposed to be like. And then we go back to the original creation story in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, and it says that you and I were created in the image of God. And in the image, I fully believe that we are created for relationship. From the beginning of time and dwelled in us is a need and a created order for relationship. And we live in a time of broken relationships. Both before COVID, this has been going on since the fall, but it seems especially pronounced in a season such as this. But I believe there is such hope for us as we move through this time, because the diagnosis of a problem is also the start of a cure. When we know what the problem is, we can find ways to move forward in hope and move forward in treatment. Uh, John Parker, um, who I mentioned earlier, is getting a hamburger with me. Um, he encouraged us a couple of weeks ago on Vision Sunday to remember God's faithfulness, to remember it throughout the story of the Bible and throughout time that God has been faithful to his people. But I felt the challenge to me was so much of remembering his personal faithfulness in my life. So I've taken that challenge on. And when I look back at the story of my life time and time again, I see the people that God has placed in my life that have changed me. From day one in my family and my extended family, my sibling, to my friends, to my church, to the people I've been able to work and minister with, to my wife and my kids. God has used people throughout my life to change me from who I was to who I am and is continuing to shape me to who I hope I can be more of in the future. A couple of weeks ago, my family had a chance to worship at Riverside with our newly commissioned minister, Doug Foley. And Doug shared the story of, of a rock tumbler. And many of you had those when you were kids. And I'm very tempted to go get one because they are so cool. And you take these rocks that are really nothing to look at and you put them in the tumbler with an agitator or some silt and you put some water in there and then you let it go to work. And over time, they're transformed. The rough edges are worn off and beauty is exposed inside. And you pull them out and they're polished and beautiful. And in the same way, God uses people to do that in our life. He transforms us as people rub against one another, as relationships happen, as we move through life. And I think most of us want to be transformed. Don't leave. When things are going good, we don't want to just stay where they are. We want it to get better. And when things are hard, we want to move out of that. We are not made for stasis. We're made to continue to move and to grow. This past week, Zach talked about Peter. And Peter is one of my favorite people throughout the Bible. Peter gives everything for Jesus and for the church. He gives his life, his all, but that's not how he started. Peter started as a fisherman, and I think we're intrigued by stories. We see the end result, and we want to know, how did someone get from A to B? It's why biographies are so popular, why podcasts about how things get made. Even reality TV, we want to know the story behind the story. And in Peter, we see incredible transformation. So I want to just take a few minutes and give a 10,000-foot overview of Peter's life through the lens of transformation and how God used people in Peter's life to change him, to change him from who he was, this humble fisherman, to who he became, who gave it all for the life of the church. And we start the story with Simon. And Simon is on a boat. He's a fisherman. He's got a trade. He is out there and he leaves everything to follow Jesus when Jesus says, I can make you a fisher of men. And we see in John 1:42, right after this calling that Jesus looks at him and he says, you are Simon, son of John, but you will be called Cephas, which is Aramaic for rock. You will be called the rock. Your name is Peter. He saw deep inside Peter before Peter knew himself and knew that there was something inside of him. John reminded us that a couple of weeks ago, that Jesus sees inside us and transforms us from the inside out when we place our identity in him. And then Peter goes and he gets to see Jesus in action. He sees his mother-in-law healed. 
He sees a miraculous haul of fish while they're out. And then he starts traveling with these 12 disciples, these 12 other men, and they continue to experience amazing things. Guys, Peter walked on water. We often tell the story of how Peter fell in the water when he took his eyes off Jesus and lost the trust, but I think we missed the fact that Peter walked on water. Matthew 14, Jesus is walking across the lake. Peter says, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. And Jesus says, come. And Peter got down out of the boat and he walked on water and he came towards Jesus. He saw the miraculous and he continues to see them. He sees people raised from the dead, but Peter is also human and he fails. He can't stay awake as Jesus begs him and his friends to just stay awake with him. And he can't even stay awake. And he fails him and hides. He denies him three times. He hides in a room after Jesus' death and he thinks all is lost, but then he's forgiven deeply on a beach. He gathers together with the other guys and they start the church and they see the beginning of the church. They see it move from house to house. They see it move in large expressions. So how does Peter, one of the most regular guys that we see throughout the Bible, become the beginner of the church, the planter of the gospel, the spreader of good news, the person who gives his life for it all? How does it matter to us today? Four C's as we wrap up today. And I think we'll find helpful in our life. The first C is this. It starts with Christ. It all starts with Christ. You see, Peter knew Jesus as Messiah, the Christ, the promised one. And Jesus knows Peter. He sees him. He calls him out. And Peter recognizes him as the Savior. He sees Jesus perform miracles. He sees Jesus in all of his glory on the Mount of Transfiguration in Matthew 17, verse 17, it says, After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And there he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. And just then there appeared before them Moses and Eliza talking with Jesus. He sees Jesus for who he is, God himself. He's also forgiven deeply by Jesus from a grace that can only extend from God himself. It starts with Peter's relationship with Christ. Peter knows Jesus as Savior, Redeemer, Lord, friend, rabbi, teacher. He knows him in every aspect of him. He knows Jesus as fully human. He walks with him and he talks with him. He fishes with him and he stays close to Jesus. Sometimes Jesus is ahead and pulling Peter along and sometimes they're walking side by side and sometimes Peter's even trying to push Jesus along. When Peter kept his eyes on Jesus and stayed close to him, he walked on water. He stayed close enough to Jesus that he was able to cut off the ear of a guard. And Jesus changed Peter profoundly and eternally. So my first question for you today is, do you know Jesus as the Christ? Do you know him as the forgiver of your sins, as God himself? Start there. If you've never taken the time to answer that question, please take as much time as you need, but no more than you have to, because the answer to that question changes everything. In fact, next week, in just a short time, we'll be celebrating baptism as a church and people taking uh, this transformation that is happening in their lives through Jesus and expressing it physically amongst their church family, going from death to life. We would do nothing would bring us more pleasure and joy than to walk alongside that with you. So if that's you, sign up to get baptized. Time though, Jesus left. 
Uh, his work was done and he left the Holy Spirit with these early followers of him to empower them and to continue the planting of the church and the work that he wanted for them. See, God's plan has always been to use people as part of his story from the beginning of the creation story through planting whole nations to be showcases for him to these small groups of ragtag men that were planting the new church. God's plan has always been to use people for his purposes. So the second C in Peter's story is community. Peter was shaped by the people he spent time with. Peter was shaped by this small group of guys, these 12 men that traveled together. When you spend this kind of time intimately with those kind of people, you change. And we see them living regular life together, right? They're out, they're fishing, they're doing work, they're walking together. We know that they're real people because they argue. It captured in Mark 9, chapter verse 33. Jesus calls them out because they're arguing about who is going to be the greatest, right? They are regular people. You have to read between the lines, but I know they laughed together. They had to. I've never been around a campfire with friends where there wasn't laughter, but they cried together also. And they mourned together. They went through all of the real pieces of life together. So my question for you is who is your smaller community? And do you have one? And how are they shaping you? Are they moving you towards Christ or away from him? You you see, people are not neutral. People will either move us closer to Jesus or farther away. People are not neutral. And when we here at Summit talk about Christ-centered community, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about people that are communing and centered on Christ. You see, we can have all kinds of people in our life, and people are easy to come by. Even if it's hard for you to find people, there are cheap people out there. We we can surround ourselves and find them in any number of ways. Um, But as Chris Burns said a couple of weeks ago in our 60-minute seminars, he said a statement that is rattling in my head so much. He said, you can never get enough of what you don't need. And if you find yourself constantly filling yourselves with people, you're probably filling yourself with people that are not actually what you need. You see, the work of finding Christ-centered community is hard. It's risky because you're letting people in your life. I I was having lunch uh, with a guy the other day, a new friend of mine, and he is hungry in his faith and he's learning and he's growing and he's excited about learning more about God. And he said, the number one thing I need in my life is people. I need those kind of people that will grow me closer to Jesus. But he said, I know, I know I can find people, but I need the right people. He knows it's risky, but he knows it's worth it. Here's the thing, maybe you've tried this. Maybe you've invited people in, maybe you've been burned. Maybe you've tried small groups, you've tried church, you've tried all these different things and and you've gotten burned by it, you've gotten hurt by it. Keep fighting for it. It's worth it, it's worth the fight because I will tell you that there is an enemy out there who wants nothing more than for you to feel discouraged and separated because when we're alone, it is so easy to pick us off. It is so easy to cut us off and there's nothing he wants more than for you to feel that way. Pray about it, fight for it. It's worth it, getting in it. If you need a Christ-centered community, we wanna help you. Get in a connect group. Um, You can click the link in the description below the video and we would love to get you plugged into a connect group here at Summit. They're meeting in person, they're meeting on Zoom. You have access to people. You see, Peter was transformed by people so much that he becomes a leader of the group over time. Third C, church. This is often the same as our community, but it's this larger expression. You see, Peter was on the front lines of the church being born. He was named Rock by Jesus. He was the cornerstone by which the church would be planted. Him and his life and his story, the church would begin. And he was there at the first gathering. He gave the first sermon to the church. We've talked about this in past the series. And he saw the church multiply from house to house as they shared meals and their possessions with one another. He saw them gather in larger gatherings. He was part of it all and he continued to see it thrive as the church moved beyond where it was and invited the farthest people out. He was part of it 
and he got to see it. In fact, in Acts 12, Peter has this miraculous escape from jail. And where does he run? Where does he go back to a house church? To a home where people were gathered and praying. Church is just a gatherer of followers of Jesus and it can transform us. It transformed Peter. From the beginning, the church has met in both large and small expressions, both in the larger expression as well as house to house. And soon enough, here at Summit, we'll be gathering together in the large groups. And we're doing that from time to time in our outdoor worship services. And soon enough, we'll be back in the ways that we've always known. But I don't want us to miss this season of what can happen when we meet house to house. When you gather together with a few people and you can see transformation happen when we share with one another, when we share meals, when we worship together, and when we pray for one another house to house. So my question for you is, have you considered house church? Um, if so, if there's anything stirring you, take action. Uh, it's linked below the description below the video here. Uh, you can get plugged in either hosting or participating in a house church. God becomes most visible when the church is alive. My fourth and final C is, uh, is Chris. Chris, I, I want you to just hang with me for a minute because I know that is a little out there. But for me, since I was five years old, I've always had a Chris in my life. And we've played soccer together. We've gone to school together. We've hiked together. We've jumped out of planes together. These Chris's, we've done all the things. We've laughed, we've cried. We've been through life together. And there's been several other people in my life, but there's always been a Chris. I, I remember my uh, friend, Chris, who I've known since I was five, Chris J. I had come home um, after my freshman year of college and after living on my own and kind of having that free schedule, I was back at my parents' house. And about two weeks into that, um, I just wasn't doing great. It, coming back into that, that season was not one of my strongest transitions in life. And um, I remember my friend Chris came out to the beach and found me and, and just said, hey, are you doing okay? We're, we're a little worried about you. Things seem off. And it was the first chance I had a chance to talk about that and how hard that was. And he invited me and in. he said, hey, why don't you get a job with us this summer at this retirement home we're working? And I did. And he invited me in. He was willing to ask the hard question and invite me back into relationship, into life. And I will be forever grateful for that. Another friend, my friend Chris S., who is here still in town, uh, when I moved here uh, to Orlando, I had no friends. I didn't know anybody. And I remember this Chris invited me into community for the first time. He was willing to share his friends with me. And, and he invited me in. And of course, we went to the Cimarron's Gateway as uh, good groups do when you first move to Orlando, right? And it was forever changed my life. These are some of my best friends today. He invited me and he pointed me towards Jesus. And we still have hard conversations and good conversations about what does it look like to do life together and to continue to follow Jesus in our lives. The thing is, Peter had a Chris and his name was Andrew. He was his brother. Uh, we hear early on in John, in John chapter 1, verse 40, it says, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who had heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah that is the Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. Peter had someone who was willing to call him in and point him to Jesus quite literally and bring him there. We need a person in our lives like that someone who's willing to point us towards Jesus, who's willing to call us and who's willing to ask those questions. So my question for you is, who is your one? Who, who is your Chris in your life? And do you have one? Uh, sometimes uh, this is a rock solid peer that is going along life with you and you're doing this together. Oftentimes it's a mentor who may be a bit ahead of you in their life. And sometimes you're the person for someone else. You're the Chris for another person as you are bringing them along with you. You see, Christ changes everything. 
He is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the beginning and the end. And we need to lock eyes with him and stay focused on him to find our hope in this world. He is the wellspring and the only source of true hope. But a part of his plan has always been to use people to transform us. And he uses us to transform others. We're his plan A for the world. This is how hope and light and life gets spread to others. So do you want to be transformed? Do you want to continue to be revealed who you truly are, to have those rough edges of the rock knocked off you like in the rock tumbler and the beauty shown inside, to be able to reflect light better, to be more of who you were truly created to be, to be more and more beautiful day after day. See, we live in a life in a time where it's even more marked in the brokenness and the relationships that are around us. So take a look around you and ask these questions. Do you know Christ? Start there. And who is your community? And if you need a Christ-centered community, let us help you get connected. And who is your church? If you're considering house church, get connected, host or go to one. And who is your Chris? Who is that person in your life and who are you being a Chris for? Let's pray. God, uh, we are so grateful for you and that you love us so much that you continue to use people in our life to transform us. God, that you don't leave us where we are, that you meet us exactly where we are, but you don't leave us there. You continue to move and shape and transform us. And you do that as we come to know you and you use that by the people that you place in our life, Lord. So surround us with people. God, help reconnect us or connect us for the first time with people that will truly move us closer to you, God, and help us to continue to see your faithfulness, to remember your goodness and faithfulness, especially in this season, by the people you use to shape and transform us. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.